Hi there, this is Brian Barnett with The Last Symptom. When I started The Last Symptom, I never in a million years imagined it would grow as it has. In these early shows especially, audio quality was often iffy, and there were references to services or online groups that are outdated and no longer in use. Great improvements have been made. Where should you go for all of the most up-to-date resources that I offer? TheLastSymptom.com is my permanent website full of free resources where everything is always up to date and that I encourage you to refer back to often. There are also a few modest paid resources at TheLastSymptom.com. These support my efforts and have allowed The Last Symptom to exist for as long as it has. These include one-on-one phone conversations with me one-on-one Zoom video calls with me, and perhaps most importantly, the Last Symptom Fundamentals course, which is a two-week, intensive, pre-recorded online video course that is far superior to things like DBT. The Last Symptom has a flourishing YouTube and Rumble channel where I publish regular orange slices, which are condensed video insights of five or ten minutes in length. If you're just now discovering the last symptom, welcome. I hope you will find every insight and resource you need here for authentic and permanent recovery from emotional disorders such as borderline personality disorder. Now on to the show. Brian Barnett is just a regular guy. He's not a doctor. He has no legal license in any field of mental health nor emotional health. Brian Barnett merely shares the insights he has gained from his personal experiences for anybody who may choose to use such information as they individually and personally choose while accepting full responsibility for their own individual thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. Brian Barnett assumes no responsibility whatsoever for anybody's individual choice to expose himself or herself to any information that Brian Barnett shares. And by listening to this program, you are acknowledging that you, and only you, are responsible for your own thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome back to The Last Symptom. This is Brian Barnett, the creator and host. I hope everybody's enjoying the weather. And uh, since we're going to be talking a bit about perception today, I thought I might as well tell you that for the longest time in my life, I had a deep, deep love affair with summer. I love the smell, sleeping with the windows open in the evenings, lightning bugs, the golden hour, the reveal of female skin walking around deep tans, how alive the world feels. It's like it's reborn, you know, every June. Partly to blame for this was uh, Ray Bradbury's book. He's my favorite author, and my favorite book of all time is Dandelion Wine by Ray Bradbury. My dog actually is named Bradbury. But Dandelion Wine deals with uh, one summer in the life of Douglas Spaulding. I think it's the summer of 1928. If you haven't read that book, it consists of a bunch of short stories compiled into a small novel. So I highly recommend you, you read that. But back to the point, as I've gotten older, I have chosen to extend that love, my love of summer, to all four seasons. See, it used to be that I felt alive and happy for three months out of the year. 
but then I was down for the rest of the year. And at some point I realized, holy mackerel, I'm wasting my life with this attitude. So I chose, I chose to change my perspective. And now I love all four seasons equally. I genuinely do. It helps if you can devote a passion or adopt a new passion specific to each season and really play outside your comfort zone. But there's my intro for this week. Something practical and positive to think about. I mean, my goodness. The power you have within yourself to choose, to choose what your perspective on certain things is going to be and have it completely change your entire approach to life is the limits are there, but they are almost irrelevant, irrelevant for practical life. Now, I want to tell you about a game, or you can call it an exercise, whichever you prefer. But it's something I call the why exercise. And it's a good practice for everybody to get into the habit of, no matter what your circumstances are, no matter who you are, no matter if you have an emotional disorder or not, it can help you get to the literal bottom of your feelings, thoughts, behaviors, perceptions, get solid answers for those things, and make fundamental changes. How does it work? The way it works is you identify some aspect of yourself, and then you ask why. That's the whole game right there. When you ask why, that leads you to an answer. When you get that answer, you ask why again. And that leads you down to another answer. And when you have that answer, you ask why again. You keep doing this until you reach the very end and you can't go any further. Now, for people with emotional disorders, by the time you are at the end, you should have arrived at the primary distorted core belief, which is at the very root of the entire disorder. And that answer will be because I believe that my feelings are inherently irrelevant and shameful, devoid of worth. You see, anytime you can ask why again, and arrive at a new answer, you are not yet down to the fundamental root cause of everything. But once you ask why for the last time and it ends at the primary distorted core belief, you have followed it all the way back to its origin. Now, a lot of people starting off with this game or this exercise, they get two questions in and they're like, okay, I'm at the end. No, no, you're not. You might need some help from somebody else to get you past these little roadblocks. To get you past the little roadblocks until you genuinely get down to the very root cause of it all. For example, I've told you that those with borderline personality disorder see themselves as without value. They see themselves as without value. So we can ask, yes, but why do I subconsciously view myself that way? And that leads us down to the primary distorted core belief because I view my feelings as inherently irrelevant and shameful devoid of worth. 
and my feelings are me. Nothing is more intimately tied to my identity and to what makes me who I am. You see, now you are at the very bottom of everything. From there, all these other behaviors and thoughts and feelings sprout, just like a tree. We're down to the roots. Let me share a personal example, and this is something that I, this is something I really did back in during my recovery with borderline personality disorder. We're talking years back, but uh, this is something uh, that I'm not inventing. I'm not making it up. This is something I really sat down and did, and it was a revelation for me. I used to suffer from some pretty powerful road rage, and I never understood it, never really bothered to question it, never bothered to examine it below the surface, because on the surface, it seemed like a no-brainer. It seemed pretty obvious to me that when people are jerks out there on the road, that uh, this is a pretty natural thing to get furious about. By the way, this is a behavior that I've seen in my brother as well and in my father. And, uh, you know, if they're ever going to fix it in themselves, that's up to them. Uh, I, that's their lives, and I have my life. They, they could benefit from this, the why exercise. So, in recognizing a problem with my behavior and having a desire to fix it, where was my focus? Well, my focus was just like most people with emotional disorders. My focus was in the wrong place when I was starting off. My focus was on trying to control or fix my feelings. And this seems logical, doesn't it? If only you could stop yourself from feeling angry. Naturally, you wouldn't scream, break stuff, say hateful things to those you claim to care about, or do dangerous, idiotic, stupid things while driving just because somebody out there does something you don't like. Feelings aren't ever something that need to be fixed. No, your feelings are never the culprit. Your anger isn't bad. No feeling is good or bad, right or wrong. So feelings come from our thoughts or our perceptions. And because of that, they may be trying to give us information about what thoughts or perspectives we need to examine and possibly fix. So for example, I could see that my rage while driving was not typical. I didn't see a lot of my other friends getting so angry while driving when they experienced the same injustices. Their emotions seemed to be much more balanced, and their emotions seemed to take these things in stride. So can you imagine why? See, now we're asking the why question. And now the why exercise begins. So follow along with me on this little journey. Why were my friend's emotions not flying out of control when faced with the same sorts of stupid drivers out there on the road. Because their perception and thoughts of the situation were not the same as mine. You see, that right there is the defining factor. Not the event, not the getting cut off in traffic, but one's perception and thoughts of getting cut off in traffic. Our perception and thoughts are where emotions are born. And for some reason, my friends were taking it in stride, and I was not. My feelings were flaring up, and I was behaving stupidly and dangerously in these situations. So why? Because of my perception and thoughts. And why me, but not other people in the same situations? 
because they aren't perceiving the experience as a personal affront. And I am. Why? Because they are secure with themselves and I am not secure with myself. They don't hear any messages in the experience when they get cut off in traffic and I do. Why? Because I feel like I'm being personally attacked. That the injustice is being personally directed toward me. Why? Because people don't place value on or show graciousness and civility towards things that are worthless. Why would this have anything to do with me? Because I feel like I am worthless. Why? Because my feelings are inherently irrelevant and shameful, devoid of worth. And if this is true of my feelings, then it is true of me as well. Now you see how the why exercise can assist you in making all sorts of connections. We started with road rage and we ended up at the primary distorted core belief at the root of the entirety of borderline personality disorder. Two things that seemed worlds apart, completely unrelated, and yet we connected them. Not only were the two things related, but in fact one was entirely responsible for the other. It has been years since I have experienced any hint of road rage. <laughs> I wish you could have driven with me 10 years ago on a road trip. And I wish you could now drive with me on a 10-hour road trip. Your mind would be blown. I'm two different people. The road rage went away when I corrected the belief at the root of borderline personality disorder. Now back to the why exercise. The only lower you can go than the primary distorted core belief, that is, my feelings are inherently irrelevant and shameful, devoid of worth, is something outside of yourself that happened in the past and that you have no power or control to change. So yes, you can ask why again, but only to identify the how. How did you come to adopt that original distorted core belief? So we ask the question, why do I subconsciously view my feelings? as inherently irrelevant and shameful, devoid of worth? Answer, because when I was a little child, my parents consistently treated my feelings as if they were irrelevant, bothersome, shameful, inappropriate, untimely. We could keep going on there. I observed that attitude in my parents during the time that I was learning about the inherent nature of things my identity, my feelings, my place in life, and I adopted a fundamental understanding of the inherent quality of my feelings based on their, my parents' consistent attitudes. They were my indisputable sources of answers, of information, 
of forming and adopting my perceptions of life. See, can't do anything about that. Can't go back in a time machine and change it. Still, the information is imperative to understanding my emotional disorder, and it's imperative for redefining those relationships moving forward and how I choose to perceive those people and their attitudes moving forward based on reality rather than my preferred explanations, which involves denial to shield me from painful truths. Anyway, this exercise, asking why, getting an answer, then asking why to that answer and getting another answer and on and on until we get back all the way back. You can do this with any aspect of borderline personality disorder or any emotional disorder. It's very educational, makes the reality of that distorted core belief crystal clear to you, which is extremely valuable, and then understanding it, seeing its effects, and eliminating it. Now moving on, let's talk about cognitive dissonance as it relates to borderline personality disorder. Young children love and worship their parents, and they believe with all certainty that their parents love them. Yet their parents treat them in ways in which love does not allow. Emotional abuse is an example of something genuine love does not allow. So now the child's mind is conflicted. On the one hand, he or she is certain that his or her parents love him or her. They're certain of this. They're as certain of this as gravity. No matter what the evidence points to, they are certain of this. And on the other hand, he or she sees the parents consistently behaving in ways towards him or her that are reflective of what? Of anger and hate. Instead of having a light bulb moment where they go, hey, wait a second, this can only mean one thing. My parents don't love me. The mind is unwilling to give up what it so desperately needs to believe is true. The, the child's mind needs to believe that their parents love them. So instead, the mind creates narratives to explain how two totally conflicting things can both be true at the same time. This is cognitive dissonance. And it's very sad. In the case of borderline personality disorder, one of these narratives is that my feelings and I myself am inherently irrelevant and shameful, devoid of worth. The distorted core beliefs that children adopt help them make sense of two conflicting realities. Now they can continue believing that their parents love them and at the same time explain why their parents abuse them. Because they themselves, the children, are defective and lack any worth. It's, it's so sad. I mean, it's, uh, it's getting to me right now talking about it. The poor parents have no alternative, and it's a shame that they ended up with such defective children. <clears throat> Isn't that sad? 
I'd like to point out that I never said that these parents don't care for their children. I've only said that they don't love them. How can I make such a bold statement? Well, because when behaviors don't reflect love, when one's behaviors don't reflect love, then you don't have love. <laughs> love behaves a certain way. That's how you identify it. When it doesn't behave that way, you got something else. Maybe an approximation of love, but it's not genuine love. For example, authentic love is never selfish, never looks after its own interests, and it never behaves abusively. It especially never behaves consistently abusively. So, abusive parents simply do not know love. They can't experience it. Their own emotional unhealth is preventing them from experiencing it. The best they can achieve is a measure of care for their children, but not love. And as I've used examples in the past, I have a, a chair here in my house that I care for very much as property. I care for it in the sense that it's mine and I can do whatever I want with it and, uh, and I don't want to lose it. But does this mean that I care about the chair from the, the chair's perspective? No. No, I don't. It's my property. I like it because it's mine. And I can do what I want with it. I don't care about its feelings. don't care about it as an individual. don't care about anything about that chair except for the fact that it's mine. It enhances my life. It makes my life better. I can get comfortable on it. It makes me feel good. Me, 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 me. Me. What it does for me. And that's what these parents of children with borderline personality disorder are. It's all about them, 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 them. What their children do for them. How their children make them look out in society. How their children enhance their lives. That is not love. Now there were some other things I wanted to discuss today. I'm not going to have time to do it. So we're going to stop here. I hope you're having a great week. As I said, I hope you're enjoying the weather. hope I've given you some good things to think about. And uh, listen, do something nice for yourself this week. I mean, really, who else is going to? Make yourself a nice cup of tea. If alcohol is not a problem for you, you know, go out and buy a, a nice bottle of bourbon or scotch or whatever it is you drink. Invite some friends over. Have a good weekend. Be nice to yourself. For crying out loud, if you're not going to be nice to yourself, who else is going to be nice to you? Be patient with yourself. Be understanding with yourself. Treat yourself better than anybody else does. Seriously. What are you beating yourself up for? I'll see you next week. You know, if you've got a line of communication with me open, let me know how, how your weekend went. I'm looking forward to hearing about it. This is Brian Barnett signing off. Thanks for listening, and I hope to see you next week.